Hello, it's Sunday. It's time for another episode of Words and Work. Today we've got Ryan Mims, who is a uh, uh, does legislative work for the American Federation of Government Employees, uh, one-time Arizonan. Uh, comes back fairly frequently, actually. But uh, he's got a new book out. And uh, let's let him talk about it. See you in a little bit. All right, we've got Ryan on, Ryan Mims, um, an author and uh, a labor organizer. So once again, we have merged the two, which is nice. Um, and uh, uh, Ryan's originally from Southern Arizona, right? That's right. I uh, went to middle school and high school in Benson and elementary school at Fort Huachuca, where my dad was stationed. Okay. So, um, and you are, uh, you know, you, you are uh, a full-time labor organizer. Um, we just talk, uh, just, uh, you know, I, I know that if, if people want to know, we dug into it a little bit last time you were on the show and they can go back and, and find it, but uh, could you just let us know again, what, which union you represent and, and, and who, yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with the American Federation of Government Employees, so we represent federal employees across the country. Um, my official title is Legislative Political Organizer. Um, I operate in District 12. Um, our, our, our union is divided into uh, districts, and District 12 is Arizona, California, Nevada, and Hawaii. And uh, I do legislative and political organizing. I'm a registered lobbyist. Um, and. Uh, you know, I work with our locals to make sure that they're uh, coordinating with the AFL-CIO when possible. Um, and, you know, always organizing because in the federal workforce, it's like a right to work state. So even when we're in California, uh, we're constantly trying to organize internally to make sure that uh, folks know they have a union. Here's how the union operates and here's why we need them involved. Yeah. And in this summer, anytime I'm talking to organizers about uh, this summer was you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember the uh, the easy little press name they gave it, but we had, you know, the UAW strike. We had, um, it, I, I think they ended up not striking, but the Teamsters were doing a lot. Um, and, and of course, uh, you're in Southern California. And so the Screen Actors Guild and, and the, the Writers Guild, both striking at the same time, had a lot of effect on things. And I know that, I mean, you, you just alluded to it um, because you're, organizing federal employees they can't strike um but that's correct what did you see going on with how did all of this affect your organizing and and just in general what what did you think about what was going on well you know so when you're in the labor movement and you've been doing this for you know i've been in the labor movement for 20 years you totally get the sense of solidarity with other unions if you're you're paying attention and you understand how things go for them is how they're going to go for us as federal employees. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was exciting to see people taking a stand, um, especially when it comes to some of these issues around AI stealing jobs, um, not paying people properly, not even announcing, like in, in the case of the Writers Guild and the, the Screen Actors Guild, right? The streaming service is not even telling them how many times the show was, uh, was, uh, was watched. Right. So they don't even know how to like, uh, 
calculate what their royalty should be because the you know Netflix and Disney Plus and all these places aren't sharing uh, data on how many people are watching the shows that they're in. So, um, watching them go out on strike and 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 stand up for themselves, I think that's important. And there was a lot of other groups and that were doing strikes as well, like you mentioned, the Teamsters. Um, there was a, a hotel workers in California and Long Beach, and there were you know, UFCW workers that were organizing and potentially striking. And uh, IOTSE had a had a, um, a stint right this year where they were looking at possibly striking. So a lot of stuff's been going on. And, and it's fun to see the labor movement really, uh, uh, you know, fighting for people and seeing people come together and understanding collective bargaining a little bit. Okay, so let's let's talk about your, your book. Um, so this one's called Easy Prey. Um, and this is also self-published. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm self-publishing, which, you know, you kind of learn as you go. And, uh, I've been learning a lot about, uh, uh, what to do and what not to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's self-published and that's probably how I'll continue to write and publish books for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, and, and I know that there, there is sort of a, a little cottage industry now of, editors for self-published authors have you tapped into that or um well so i i the the thing that they have now is they have platforms for self-published authors so that you can you can actually uh get your ebooks out and get your uh, uh print to order books at all the basically the major retailers that sell books online right and so those type of platforms make it possible for you to self-publish and have your book out um, it also allows you to do things like if you contact your local Barnes and Nobles, which I did, you can go do an author signing there because your book is already on their website through these platforms where you're self-publishing. So, um, you know, I was able to go and do an author signing at the, uh, the Barnes and Noble here in Santee, California, for example, which is down the road from where I live. And I sold like 22 books that day. I autographed them, got to talk to a bunch of people who I would never have, uh, um, Matt, who probably would never have picked up my book before um, by doing that. So there's there's things you can do now um, that probably didn't exist before. Some of the gatekeeping with big publishers is uh, being diminished, which is good. Yeah. Um, as far as so let's talk about this book. The last book you had drew a lot on your youth in 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 Cochise County. Um, I mean, and you, you, in fact, I remember you telling the story about the the railroad sign and and how that ended up being in the book um this one uh what did, what did you did you draw on that again or what what um what's going to be different for readers on this one well so this book's a lot different i mean they're both uh the last book was kind of a horror fantasy kind of genre this is yeah. more of a horror thriller genre and i i you know when you write a book you do play on things you know um, so, uh, some of the stuff I played on that I knew has to do with actually, uh, my work, um, as a legislative political organizer and, and doing some of that because this book, um, the, 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 the main hero in this book, um, she's actually a city council person mm -hmm. who, uh, is in a city council. Um, and it's actually, you know, out here where we live, we, we've been getting all these laws where they're making it legal to, uh, hand $5 to a homeless person that's asking for money. They're making it illegal to take them food over the weekend and, you know, uh, trying to like drive them into other cities or other municipalities by just making homelessness be illegal. Right. Mm 
Um, I think it's a disgusting policy. And so I kind of, I kind of use some of that in this book where this particular hero wants to actually fix things and wants to change, uh, change things in her city. Um, but the problem is, is the person she ends up teaming up with and trying to get help runs a nonprofit organization to help homeless people, but he's a vampire. So he's really helping himself. <laughs> yeah. So, so instead of the city doing this, uh, the way they should, they team up private, public private partnership, kind of outsource it to a vampire who, you know, he's, he's going to run his homeless program in order to get easy prey for himself. So that's kind of the, the, the thought narrative. And, you know, I have some press conferences with some different characters and, you know, I won't say uh, specifically who some of these uh, politicians uh, uh, who I was thinking of when I wrote their characters, but there's definitely a, uh, politicians I've come in contact with who uh, played a role in helping me write some of the characters in this book. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking of, you know, oh yeah, I wrote this horror thriller and I draw on my work. What, what's your work? Oh, it's legislative work. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a, not not where people would think you'd get stuff from, but but I mean, given what I do in my day job, I can, I can see it too. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as your writing process goes, I mean, what did you learn from the first book that you are now doing with your second book or that you did with your second book? Um, so, so one of the things I did do, and this is because my first book sold well enough that I have a little bit of money that's like, I put aside this part of uh, me being able to write and stuff is I actually hired an editor. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I have a, a lady named Nancy who uh, helped me edit my book. Uh, that made a lot of improvements to uh, uh, grammar, to my writing style, to making sure I was really consistent with, um, you know, uh, uh, keeping it in the same tense all the time. Uh, I think it was, it's a better book for that. It's an easier book to read. Um, it also, having the editor uh, help me knock off some stuff that was probably um things i like that i put in the book but weren't really beneficial to uh the overall story right so this book slimmed down a little bit um uh having the editors made it a lot better and then the, the other thing that that i did this time is my first book was uh uh in a first person view right um whereas this book is is third person right so it and it actually has different chapters that focus on some of the different characters um so it feels different that way, which is which is nice. Yeah, well, your first person is is always like a fun a fun thing to write from, but then you end up missing things because you can't you can't do that perspective of oh here's what's going on over in this other building, right? Correct, correct, and by being able to do that too, I was able to hide some characters, so you don't really know. Uh, like for the first part of the book, you might not know you know, who the vampire is for a little bit, right? Like, which character is the, the vampire? Uh, uh, which one's going to do what? Um, which was fun, uh, being able to hide some characters and have things kind of pop up um, that you wouldn't be able to do from a first-person perspective. Uh, you talked about the first book doing well, uh, relatively well. And I, I don't know what your sales figures are like, but you felt like it did well. Um so when you would go out and present it at, you know, 
you know, at, at, at signings or I, I don't know if you did fairs or anything like that with it, but, you know, what was the reaction that you got from people about it? Um, so, so the, the reactions, you know, I had one, one, uh, one friend from college who, who read it. He's a, he's an English teacher now. And he thought that the book reminded him a little bit of like a, a American's version of like a Neil Gaiman book, which I took as a huge compliment. Yeah. Um, uh, he said some of the stuff I did reminded him a lot of, uh, of Neil Gaiman. Um, I had a, another friend who, who read the book, um, who kind of gave me a, some really good criticisms, right? Like he said, you should have leaned into this aspect more or this aspect more to really, uh, drive some things home and it would created more drama and made the book better. And, uh, you know, looking at those things on hindsight, it probably would have been great to have him, uh, tell me that before I released and published it. Um, uh, for example, he thought it would have been a really good point to have uh, an actual love triangle kind of conflict between the main character, his wife, and, uh, and the girl he goes to, to, uh, to go to, goes to rescue. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in that book, but, um, that wasn't the case. I didn't, I didn't even think of like having a love triangle in the book, but he thought that would have been good for it. Um, and then I've had a couple people ask me if I'm going to do a sequel because I do leave that kind of open. Um, I have a little chapter at the end where it opens the door for additional uh, stories. Um, and I have a plan for that. I just, I haven't, uh, I haven't fleshed that all out yet. I'm about 30,000 words into a possible sequel um, with a lot to go to, to actually make it into a real book. It's interesting because like, I, I know that I mean, I, I've, I know people that have written mysteries and with mysteries, there's always a demand that it's going to be a series because you've made this detective character. that's going to show up over and over again with the horror genre. I didn't know that was necessarily something people demanded. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that it's, it's uh, demanding. I think maybe the first book feels like a fantasy book to some people though. Yeah, okay. Right, because of the way the adventure is, and, and and some of the you know the Greek mythology that's thrown in there, um. So I think there's a couple people that have you know wondered if I was going to have a sequel or not, um. And then you know just looking at publishing in general, if you're self-publishing or you're writing the book, it looks like that's one of the ways that people help generate income for themselves to be able to be writers is to have, you know, a series and have things in in trilogies or 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 whatnot because. Uh, you know, once you write the trilogy, you can release the first book for free and then sell the second book for, you know, the, the full cost and third book and so on. Um, almost like a drug dealer, I guess, uh, you know, the first one free. Um, but, you know, I, I, uh, I've been learning a lot about this. Um, the, the other thing I've done is I've been starting to follow other people who self-publish. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, there's just a ton of things about advanced reader copies, um, and how to get, you know, get those people out to get um, reviews for your books and, and uh, move the logarithms on, on Barnes and Nobles or at Amazon or wherever your book's being sold that I'm learning um, uh, by, by watching other self-published authors and, um, you know, uh, going on to TikTok and social media and engaging with them. So you, you mentioned Neil Gaiman before. Um, who else are your uh your i mean when you were growing up what were you reading and 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 uh, you know who's kind of inspired you to write the way you do 
Um, you know, I read a lot of stuff growing up. Um, I really uh, read a lot of fantasy stuff. Um, Piers Anthony, um, which he doesn't write anything like I do, but I read a ton yeah. of his books growing up. Um, I read through the uh, the Dragonlance uh, novels, right? The uh, yeah. all those novels, I loved them growing up. Yeah, I used those, to love King Arthur stuff. Yeah, yeah, the Dragonlance stuff is surprisingly well written, given how they were churned out. You know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there there there's a little resurgence going on with those books right now too, among uh, younger people that are picking them up and reading them, and uh, I think that's fun. Um, but yeah, I, I love those. I love those books, even though they were they were you know they were definitely uh, made to sell right around D and D and stuff. Um, but you know, I loved like Lloyd Alexander stuff um, as a kid. Um, the Black Cauldron series was awesome. The High King. Um, uh, Turan the Wanderer. Those books are amazing to me. Um, there's a there's a part in Turan the Wanderer, uh, which kind of reminds me of like the work I do, where he's you know he's destined to be the high king or whatever, and he's going through uh, a crisis of identity, and so he spends times with different people throughout the land, like a wanderer, scavenger, uh, a farmer, all these different people, an artist who's like a great artist, and uh, it's really kind of uh, the nobility of all the different types of people and the way they live that's presented in that work is really exciting. Um, you know, and I read Stephen King when I was young, probably before I should have been reading his books. I started reading Stephen King. I, I think that's when we all started with Stephen King when we were too young to be reading that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Stephen King books have never really scared me The The author that scares me that'll leave me with nightmares is Clive Barker stuff. Oh yeah. Um, his, his 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 works will actually leave me like uh, I'll wake up with with bad dreams after reading a couple of his books. Um, but I did enjoy his work as well when I was younger. Um, so I read a lot. I read 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 a lot of books, and I've always enjoyed reading and storytelling. And you know, I enjoy movies. Um, funny, actually, I just uh, I just re-listened to uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Yeah, you know, the Secret of Nim book. Um, uh, which is a story I love, um, and a, and a cartoon I love when it was made by Don Bluth, right? Like, uh, I, li I really like his work. Yeah, that that actually, I mean, for a, a kind of, I mean, I, I think young adult novels have progressed a lot since we were younger, but that one, uh, I mean, it's surprisingly, I mean, of course it holds up, but also it, it's very mature. And very, you know, it's like, oh, but it's about mice, but you know, it's still, you know, it's still this a lot of a lot of things in there about uh, responsibilities around science and all a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. the, there's the whole philosophical debate between the rats about whether they should continue to steal everything they have from the farmer, yeah, or move out and try to create their own culture and their own civilization separate from stealing it from the farmer right yeah which yeah. is uh very fascinating so when you your first approach to gaiman was it as a comic book writer or as a novelist um you know the sandman was my first uh, uh experiences with him right so yeah. his uh his vertigo graphic novels that he did with dc um but you know i've read stardust and Coraline. um um and uh i i've read his uh he did a whole uh a whole uh uh 
take on uh, Norse mythology, which was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not read uh, American Gods yet. Uh, I probably should. I hear yeah, it's really you, good, you so. definitely need to. And 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 the TV series was, it was okay. I mean, the, the trouble with the TV series was, it was it's one of those series where if you've read the books, it's just not. <laughs> it's, you know, you're sitting there going, "Oh, come on, that's not." You know, and and but but it it's worth watching the TV series too. Um, well, that that tends to be the case whenever you read the book, right? Well, um, actually, I did not have that experience with The Witcher. I thought the series was okay. very, very, um, very true to the. You know, it's it's mostly about you know, did you get the spirit of things? You know, and he, and they did, um, which I liked. Um, uh, so the other thing, I you know, when we're talking about comics, I mean, you are a huge comic book fan. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. I know you you post a lot of uh, uh, sketches on Facebook, and, and so I, I saw the cover when you showed it to me before. Um, did you, is that one of your drawings? That is, that is my drawing. And in fact, this book, uh, you know, books are divided into books inside the book, right? Book one, yeah. book two, book three, yeah. act one, two, three. I actually have drawings that I did for each act of this book. So I've included illustrations. Um, uh, as it goes, I, I just figured, you know, I, I like doing this. I might as well uh, add this little piece in there for this book. So there's, there's, uh, three illustrations at the beginning of each uh, act for this book. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, you know, it's funny because when my brother did his book, he spent a lot of time and a lot of money drawing maps for that. Cause it is, it was a, you know, military history. So you need maps. Right. And then he got it to the publisher. The publisher said, actually, you need to have someone else do the maps. And, and, I'm, you know, it, it wasn't a, Tom wasn't really mad about it. He just wished that someone had told him before that they weren't going to let him use his own artwork in it, you know, but, uh, well, so, well for, for good or bad, that's the advantage of self-publishing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can use my own artwork. Um, I've been told by other self-publishers that I should stop and I should hire someone to do it. Um, but they, I've also had people say, no, just keep doing it. I, I like what you have for your covers. So, well, yeah, I mean, if you know, if if, if um, I, I would think that you understand how you want to package your story more than someone else would, right? Hmm. Well, I mean, the 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 thing that that I get that I got told by the people who think I should just let pay someone to do my cover is uh, there's like a certain aesthetic that books have that they believe will put them off the shelf, right? Like the type of font you use, the type of aesthetic that's going around. There's actually like, uh, like if you go look at books that are just coming out right now and you go look at books that came out 10 years ago, there's a changing aesthetic too that goes with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's just a marketing thing and people, you know, I do art, but I'm not a graphic designer per se. So it probably would help me to have someone with graphic design skills, like help me with the fonts and things like that. So, yeah. Um, Admittedly, that 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 probably would be worthwhile if I did it in the future. So, what else are you working on? I mean, are you uh, and and do you plan on branching out from just doing fiction or? Um. So I have I have some fiction stuff that I'm working on doing. I don't know that I would do any nonfiction um, until I retire. 
Yeah. Right. Like, um, and then everyone's in trouble. Right. Right. I mean, I know, I know, uh, I know there's people that, that work as union activists, uh, um, like McElvaney, she's, you know, from SCIU and she wrote, you know, her books are awesome. I've read her books. I love them. Um, uh, I just read, uh, uh, Fight Like Hell uh, by uh, Kelly. Um, can't remember her first name off the top of my head. Uh, you know, excellent book. Um, and I would love to, you know, maybe at some point write what I've learned about the labor movement and stuff. But I also uh, I also do this to kind of get away from the labor movement for a little bit and give myself a peace of mind and uh, take a break from work. So, uh, you know, my stories they're just fun for me and hopefully, you know, people that pick them up enjoy them and it's fun for them too. All right. Well, um, that's, this is a good time to stop. Um, thank you for, uh, chatting. Yeah. Thank Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, and happy to come back anytime. And there's no going back Highway patrol choppers coming up over reach Hot soup on a campfire in the breach Shelter line stretching around the corner Welcome to the new world Family sleeping in the car in the southwest Home, no job, no peace, no rest. Well, the highway is alive tonight. But nobody's kidding nobody about where it goes. I'm sitting down here in the campfire line. Searching for the ghost of Tom Joe. He pulls a prayer book out of his sleeping bag. Preacher lights up a butt and takes a drag Waiting for when the last shall be first and the first shall be last In a cardboard box near the underpass Got a one-way ticket to the promised land You got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand Sleeping on a pillow of solid rock Breathing in the city, going down. The highway is alive tonight. Where it's hitting, everybody knows. I'm sitting down here in the campfire line, waiting on the ghost of Tom Jones. Against the blood and hatred in the air 
Ghost of Tom Joad by Bruce Springsteen. By request of my guest, Ryan Mims. Thank you, Ryan, for uh, allowing me to uh, chat with you. And thank all of you for listening. Uh, Words and Work has been a presentation of Downtown Radio and the National Writers Union Tucson Chapter. I'm Ted Brzezelski. I'll see you all next week. <laughs>